Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Amen. Look at those. Look at that next generation go. That's awesome. It's a beautiful sight. How's everybody doing this morning? Three of you are awesome. Who's in love with Jesus this morning? Man, he is good. His goodness and his mercy are chasing you down, whether you like it or not. Amen? So let's take a hard right turn. I'm going to talk to you for a few moments about the concept of eternity. It's difficult to teach on something that you fully cannot comprehend or maybe can only comprehend a very, very small percentage of. And I don't know about you, but there's been moments in my life where, as a a Christ follower from an early age, from age five on, I've thought about the concept of eternity for living forever and ever and ever and ever, never ending, no stopping point, which is mind-blowingly amazing, but yet, If you think about it too hard, your brain starts to catch on fire, right? So eternity is is a concept that our human understanding cannot fully fathom. We were set into a time and space by our creator, our father, who placed us within these limitations of time. And he himself, though, exists beyond the limitations of eternity. Everybody still with me? Three of you. And we need to wake the rest of you up. He is the ancient of days, yes? He lives in eternity. He is not bound by these limits of time that he set for us. Growing up, I was an avid reader, probably because there weren't a lot of video games and I was terrible at them, um, which has paid dividends. Books are awesome. But in our basement, we had like bookshelves full of books, and my grandparents were missionaries, and my mom was a missionary kid, so we had all these missionary books. And I remember, I, th- I thought about it this week where I first saw this verse, and it was this book um, titled Eternity in Their Hearts. And I actually Google searched it. I'm like, that's the book. That's the picture. Don Richardson, he wrote this book, Eternity in Their Hearts. And, and the, the, the premise of the book is there's story after story of these cultures of people that did not have a Bible in their language. They, they, their history, though, and creation itself, and and legends that have been passed down, all pointed them, all prepared them for the gospel of Jesus, right? Do you believe that? It tells us that in Romans, like, you can't live on this earth and not know that there's a God. The sunsets point to a God. The mountains point to a God. And and this whole book, the premise of this book comes from Ecclesiastes 3.11. And this is where I want to set the table for today's message. It says this, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And he planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That's an unbelievable verse. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. So God is the one who lives outside of time, beyond time, yet he also set time into motion. He created seasons and times, and in his mystery and wonder that we don't fully understand, he has made everything beautiful for its own time and season. The same God who lives outside the limits of time also interacts with us in moments of time. 
and everything, not a few things, not some things, not a couple things here and there, everything is beautiful, God says, for its own time. So check this out. If you don't think it's beautiful, then either it's not the right time or you're not seeing it the way that he's seeing it. He makes everything beautiful for its own time. And he's also planted eternity in your heart, in your spirit. There's a piece of you that's eternal, and this is massive. Eternity, it comes from this Hebrew word, olam. It means from antiquity, forever, everlasting, evermore, perpetual, continuous, existent, infinite, always. It's the idea of time outside of your mind, which is why we can't understand it. Because it cannot be measured, and that's who our eternal God is. He exists without limits, outside of what your mind and my mind can comprehend. See, when I, if you're like me, when we think of eternity, we think from now forward, right? At least I do, or sometime in the future. But eternity is actually the merging of past, present, and future. Because it's the removal of the limitation of time. I can see some of your brains are smoking. But here's my point. The creator has set eternity in your heart. I'm going somewhere here. See, the body that you are housed in right now is temporary. It will return to the dirt that God created it from. Your body, your car, your house, your job, these are all temporary things. A blip, a tiny little blip on the radar of forever. But your heart, this is the key. Your heart, your spirit is eternal. There's something that got put in you that's eternal. And within this time frame that you're given, this short little blip on the radar of eternity, within these temporary limitations, you are carrying around something within you that is nuclear, nuclear in proportion. And God planted it there. He set it there. See, and you're an eternal creature that is longing for your creator, even if you don't know him yet. You are longing for the past and present and future that has been planted and set in your heart. See, that's why Paul says in Romans that all of creation is groaning. Your heart is groaning. It doesn't have the words to say. It's groaning to be fully released into eternity, into what's been set into it. That's why if, you're, if you've ever experienced this, you don't have the words for it. That's why you have, you have moments in your life that you experience in worship, in nature, with your family, just alone with God, you have these moments that you don't have words for. But you might, you feel like you might just explode with gratitude and love for Jesus. Have you ever had a moment like that? That's eternity that God planted in your heart that is groaning to be fully released. Are you with me? See, I believe that's, that's why the sun explodes onto the horizon in the morning. You could go with so many other examples of creation that are groaning and longing to be fully released into eternity. And you, an image bearer of the creator, has eternity planted in your heart. And here's the beautiful thing. Because you are a temporary creation, but you have eternity set within you, you can affect eternity in this temporary time limit. You can affect eternity through your family, through your life, through your job, through your workplace. 
through your day-to-day ordinary, you can have an effect on the past, present, and future. You can use your dining room table, your living room, your back patio to fight alongside of other hearts that are battling for eternal things. You're saying, that's great, Chris. My brain is now fully on fire. I thought we were in rebuilt. What does that have anything to do with rebuilt? I'm so glad you asked. Because it has everything to do with rebuilt. Absolutely everything. See, you are an spirit being that is set within limitations of time and space. That's the tension that you live in. And your role in this temporary setting is to build into eternity. It's a beautiful thing, but you're also held accountable for this gift. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, for, you, for we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building onto it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. That is the cornerstone. Amen? Anyone who builds on that foundation, they may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on Judgment Day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder, that's you and me, has done. And the fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I don't want to barely escape into eternity. I want to build my life into eternity. Don't you realize, Paul says, that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are the temple of God. And God is building in you, but check this out. He also wants to build through you. So the question this morning is, what is your life building? What are you doing with this temporary time limitation that you've been given, this time and space that will be recorded on your gravestone? What are you doing with that gift? Are you building into Forever? Are you building into eternity or are you building things that will simply not last? Let's pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we just uh, we want to hear from you today. We are desperate to hear your word. And just like the rain that is pouring down right now, God, would you just drench us in your grace and your mercy and your love. And I pray that distractions would be gone, that we would be able to hear your voice, that it would speak to us, that it would cut into the eternal part of us, our heart, our spirit, so that we can go out of this place and do something that will last forever. And not just hear another message that goes in one ear and out another. God, our hearts are open. Our ears are ready. Our hands are ready to take action. And in Jesus' name, everybody agreed and said, Amen. 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 So last week, 
Ike Schaefer, if you're here, uh, he kicked off the Rebuilt series and he gave us an overview of the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Remember this? And then brought us up to the rebuilding of the foundation of the temple 70 years later, okay? I want to move up this morning kind of 30,000 feet, if you will, and even create a broader overview of about a 150-year time span, maybe even longer. I want to tell you three stories that intersect with each other over that time period that involve the destruction of the temple and then the rebuilding of the temple. And the incredible thing is that these three individuals, their stories all merge together. And I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these people because their story is your story and your story is their story. The Bible that we read from the Word of God, it is living and it is active. See, their opportunities that they had were dressed sometimes as burdens and threats, just like the opportunities that you face that are dressed up as burdens and threats and attacks, as problems. But God will make what? Everything beautiful in its time. And he has set eternity in your heart. You have something nuclear within you. I can't even say that this morning. You have something powerful within you. The first story I want to tell you about is a man named Daniel. Who's heard of Daniel before? Yeah, Yeah, my boy Daniel. In 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and destroyed it. And, And Daniel was living in Jerusalem. He was about 17 years old at this time. And he records this in Daniel 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon and placed them in the treasure house of his God. This is crazy. The Lord allowed an evil king victory to pillage his own temple, to reduce Jerusalem to a field. Let's be clear. You and I have an enemy, correct? The devil. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But we have a father in whose image you are created that has put eternity in your heart. And God takes what the enemy meant for evil. Listen to me. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and then he uses it for his glory. And there's nothing the enemy can bring against you. There is nothing the enemy can bring against you that God can't and won't take and use for his glory. Because you are God's field, and sometimes God allows the crushing weight of Babylon to reduce you to a field. But you are also God's building. You are being rebuilt into not someone who has pride and arrogance of himself. We all need to be crushed and rebuilt into Jesus. Amen? And that rebuilding process, though, can be excruciating. It can be painful. It can be long. I mean, 70 years was the time span between when the temple was destroyed and then rebuilt. That is a lifetime. But everything is what beautiful in its time. And he has set eternity in your hearts. He didn't set a five-year goal in your hearts. He didn't set your dream house in your hearts. He didn't set the next truck in your heart. I'm not saying those things are bad. Actually, in the right order of seeking the kingdom and Jesus first, listen to me, five-year goals, dream, dream houses and cars, they can be added. In the wrong order, however, of seeking those other things first, anything first other than Jesus, it becomes idolatry. It's all about the order. See, Jesus doesn't want half your heart. He's asking for everything. 
He's asking for your whole heart. We just sang about it this morning. He's demanding everything of you. He gave everything for you. He wants you to choose him. He gives you a choice, but he wants everything. And those other things are absolutely meaningless without Jesus. With Jesus, they can be tools to build into eternity. But they are pointless without the heartbeat of eternity. So Jerusalem destroyed, 605 B.C., and Nebuchadnezzar selects the best and brightest from Jerusalem and brings them back to Babylon as captives. And one of those guys was Daniel. He's 17 years old. From what we know of the Babylonians, they probably killed his entire family in front of him. They most likely castrated him and made him a eunuch. And, oh, Nebuchadnezzar renamed Daniel Belshazzar after his personal God. So Daniel's identity was completely crushed, complete 180, completely changed. But God does what? He makes everything beautiful in its time. And maybe you feel like (laughs) a little bit like Daniel this morning. I don't know your story. Maybe you've you've gone through some difficult things. Guess what? Jesus says you're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Be honest, if if that was me, if I'm Daniel and that happened to me, I'd be ready to pack it up. I'd be ready to just give in. It would be easy to live a life of bitterness and regret and self-pity, but Daniel didn't do this. And a 17-year-old boy goes on to serve an evil king with the heartbeat of eternity. And then the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so Daniel's 18 now, the king has this disturbing dream. So disturbing that he brings all his sorcerers and magicians and wise men together and he says, guys, I had this crazy dream. Now tell me what I dreamt and what it means. And the sorcerers are like, "Ah, long live the king. We'd prefer if you tell us the dream, then we tell you what it means. How do we know what you dreamt? And Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, looks at these guys and says, no, I'm serious. You guys tell me the dream and what it means or I will tear every limb from your body and turn your houses into dunghills. I'm kind of serious about this. And Daniel had been put in the organizational chart or structure of the sorcerers, magicians, wise men. And so he was in this camp that was about to be killed. And that night, Daniel prays to God. He says, God, spare my life. Reveal this dream to us. And that night, the Bible tells us, God revealed the dream and the secret of the dream to Daniel in a vision. And an 18-year-old boy who had just gone through more tragedy than probably all of us combined will ever face in our lives, he presses into Jesus. He is asking, seeking, knocking. He's not given up. He's asking the God of heaven to give us, give him the secret, to reveal the secret to an evil king. And all of a sudden, because of this, an 18-year-old boy from Jerusalem slave boy, becomes the most influential voice in Babylon, the most powerful empire of the world at that time. And instead of being put to death, Daniel finds himself in charge of all the sorcerers, magicians, astrologers, and wise men, which is also a mind-blowing concept. How do you put those guys to work for God? But I'm sure he did it. 
I'm going to pause the Daniel story for just a moment. I want to take you a hundred years prior to Daniel. A hundred years. It's about 705, 700 B.C. And a prophet of God named Isaiah is listening to God and he's writing down what the Holy Spirit inspires him to write. And in Isaiah 38, so this is 95 years before Jerusalem was destroyed, and the, the king of Judah at that time was King Hezekiah. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, he says, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all this treasure stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons, Daniel, will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Now, Hezekiah was actually kind of glad that it was a ways off because it didn't affect him. That's unfortunate that he reacted that way. This is 95 years before it happens. 700 B.C. when Isaiah is writing this, Jerusalem was destroyed in 605 B.C. And that's Isaiah 38, so it's talking about the destruction of the temple. In Isaiah 44, Isaiah is writing about the rebuilding of the temple. So another 70 years. And he says this, he says, Isaiah 44, 28, Isaiah prophesies, he says, When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. So now he's talking about this guy named Cyrus. Who in the world is Cyrus? Cyrus wasn't even born for a hundred more years after Isaiah wrote this. Cyrus was born around the time of the destruction of the temple in, in 605, 600 or so B.C. And Cyrus was born in the land of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And at the same time of Cyrus's birth, the Persians at that, that time, they weren't a world power. They were just a tribe of shepherds. And Cyrus's grandfather was actually leading the tribe. He was their king, if you will. And his grandfather had this dream one night that Cyrus, the little baby grandson, would rise up and overthrow his throne. So, so Cyrus's grandfather, the next day, chief advisor, he says, take the little baby boy out to the mountains and kill him. We can't have him overthrowing me. So this chief advisor takes the boy out to the mountains, but he didn't quite have what it took to kill the boy. And so he, he pays a shepherd some money and says, now listen, you kill him. I can't do it. You kill him. Well, what he didn't know is this shepherd and his wife couldn't have children. And so they said, this, this, is, this boy is from God from, from us. And they took the little baby boy Cyrus and they raised him as their own. And years later, of course, what happened is Cyrus overtook his grandfather's throne and becomes the emperor, the king of Persia, which had now grown into this massive empire. So we're seeing all these stories collide. And Isaiah's writing this about Cyrus 150 years before it happens. It's one of the most incredible prophecies in, in the scripture. In Isaiah 45, he writes this, I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purchase, purpose. I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
And 150 years after Isaiah writes this, Cyrus the Persian and Darius the Mede, they had joined forces and they're surrounding the city of Babylon. And the new king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar was dead. There's a new king in Babylon, King Belshazzar. They, he has no idea that the Medes and Persians are just outside the city gates. Most powerful city in the world. There, it said their walls were so thick that six chariots could ride side by side through their walls. I mean, NASCAR races don't even have six wide. And that night, King Belshazzar is having a feast. You might remember the story. He's, he, it's probably like days-long feast. And he says, bring the objects from the temple in Jerusalem that, that Nebuchadnezzar put in storage. Bring those out. And he brings those out, and they're parting with them. And, and all of a sudden, I wish I was there, man. This would have been an awesome moment. All of a sudden, everyone sees this hand writing on the wall. Crazy moment. And the hand wrote these words that they couldn't understand. It says, mene, mene, tekel, parsin. And of course, Belshazzar brings the magicians and sorcerers in, and they couldn't figure out what the writing means. And so someone said, hey, there's this guy named Daniel. Let's bring him in. He's still working in Babylon. Now, Daniel isn't 18 anymore. Daniel's 85 or so. And they bring Daniel in, and he tells the king what the words mean. He says, God has numbered you and measured you, and your kingdom is no more. He has weighed you in the balances, and you did not measure up, O king. And that very night, Babylon fell, and it was divided between the Medes and the Persians. And King Cyrus of Persia and Darius the Mede wiped out Babylon together. And 85-year-old Daniel survives to serve yet another two kings. And a year or two later, it's now been 70 years since Jerusalem's been destroyed. 70 years of Daniel serving evil kings. 150 years ago, Isaiah writes this prophecy about Cyrus, and now it's all unfolding. I mean, what if Isaiah wasn't obedient to the Holy Spirit to write what he was told? I mean, he's writing things he doesn't even understand. Cyrus, who's Cyrus? He wasn't a blip on the radar. He wouldn't be born for another hundred years. See, here's the thing about the word of God. It is not only true, but it is living and it is active and it is sharp. It cuts between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. It cuts between what is eternal and what is not. And it has the power to help us distinguish and separate between the eternity that God placed in our heart and the time frame that we're placed in that is so fleeting. I've told many of you uh, privately this story. I don't think I've shared it all from stage, but last summer was difficult for me. Just a lot of confusion surrounding my job. I, I felt like Jerusalem was being crushed and Babylon was taking over. And right around the time all that was taking place. I, was, I had a trip to Africa, and I went out there a day ahead of time to kind of beat the, the time change on my body. And I found myself in Cape Town, South Africa, and on a Sunday morning, I was praying for you all as you were having service here. And it's one of the most incredible days of my life. And I think I had, I had such a hard time processing this and saying this because it's 
When you have moments where God meets you, it's hard to describe with human words. And I walked along that ocean front for eight to 10 miles that day, and I, I was just, I was preparing actually for a message the next weekend here, if you remember the home address series, I preached on Habakkuk 2.14, all about the ocean and the glory of God. So I'm walking along the ocean, I'm, I'm like writing things down on my phone as God's revealing them to me. But the crazy thing was, the Holy Spirit kept saying this phrase to me. He kept saying, treasures in the darkness. And I'm like, I wrote it down. I'm like, God, that's great, but I'm trying to like work on this, your message for next week. You know, I'm trying to stop interrupting me. And I kept hearing it, treasures in the darkness. I'm going to give you treasures in the darkness. And I, I'd written it down, and the next day, I remembered. I need to look that up. I knew it was in Isaiah somewhere, but I couldn't remember the context. And I looked it up, and it's in Isaiah 45. And it's the prophecy to Cyrus. The only thing was, when I... When I read the passage, I read my name in there instead of Cyrus's name. I read this. This is what the Lord says to Chris, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I'll go before you, Chris. I'll go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. And I'll do this so that you well know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. See, it's never about you. It's all about him treasures in the darkness. And I believe Isaiah wrote that for Cyrus, but I also believe the Holy Spirit wrote that for me on July 30th in Cape Town, South Africa. I believe that with all my heart. I can't tell you exactly what I experienced that day because there's no human words for it. But I can tell you that the Holy Spirit is real and he reveals his word to people. See, the word of the Lord is also eternal. Just like eternity is placed in your heart, the word of the Lord remains forever. See, he spoke into, in the beginning. Remember, there was nothing, and he spoke everything into existence. He created beauty from nothing, and he's still speaking into your heart and creating beauty from nothing. And he will give you and me treasures hidden in the darkness. You may feel like you're in the darkness right now, but God has a treasure there waiting for you. You just can't see it yet. See, it may be dark, my friends, but he's about to turn the lights on. The invisible is becoming visible. And God wants to release what is eternal that he set in you. And he does it through his word, through his voice. The same way that he spoke to me in Africa is the same way that he wants to speak to you. But is your heart positioned to hear it? Is your heart positioned to receive it? See, God is creating something beautiful in the middle of your pain. He's creating, he's finding, he's got stored up treasures in the darkness that have been reserved just for you. That's his promise to Cyrus. That's his promise to you. That's his promise to me. 
And Isaiah wrote those words of prophecy out of obedience, but he never met Daniel. He never met Cyrus. They were a hundred some years in the future. He was just obedient to write what the Holy Spirit showed him. And Daniel faithfully served four different kings, four different kings after being ripped from Jerusalem. Daniel never went back to see Jerusalem rebuilt. He never saw the rebuilding of the temple, but he was faithful and he was obedient. Do you know that the historian Josephus, do you know who he believes showed King Cyrus that prophecy from Isaiah? Daniel. Most likely, Daniel was the one that knew about the prophecy that Isaiah had written and shows it to his new king. Can you imagine Cyrus seeing that for the first time? This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, his shepherd, whose right hand he will empower before him. Mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I'll go before you, Cyrus. I'll level the mountains. I'll smash down gates of bronze, cut through bars of iron, and I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches also that you will know that I am the Lord. And Cyrus reads this prophecy that was written 150 years, and he reads his own name. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles that God stirred in the heart of Cyrus, and he made this decree. It says, this is what the king Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple in Jerusalem, which is at Judea. Any of you who are his people may go there for his task, and may the Lord your God be with you. And Cyrus, the most powerful man in the world at that time, releases the captives 70 years after the temple had been destroyed. And he not only releases them, but he pays for the entire project. Everything is beautiful in its time. And I believe this morning and in your life, like Cyrus, God wants to release his word in you do you have the obedience of Cyrus to receive a word for you? And like Isaiah, he wants to release a word through you. Do you have the faith like Isaiah to speak a word from God that impacts a generation that you will never see? It's time, my friends, to listen for his voice like never before. And then when we hear that word, to hold on to it and live it out. That is more valuable than anything you'll ever get in this life. The word of God that is eternal, speaking in you and through you. Speaking to your heart that is eternal. See, you are the temple of God. The spirit of God does reside in you. And you are being rebuilt by the eternal word of God. He planted eternity in your hearts. And he's giving you treasures in the darkness. He's revealing things that you can't even begin to imagine. But do you trust him? Do you trust him wholly with your life? What are you building into this short blip on the radar called life? Are you building into eternity? Or are you just building temporary things? 
I want you to stand up for a moment. Turn to the person next to, next to you and say, I'm building into you. Turn to the other person you ignored first and tell them, I'm building into you. See, there's one way to build into eternity. It's to build into what is eternal. And the person next to you is carrying the Spirit of God. Their hearts are, are eternal. Their spirit is eternal. It's time, my friends, to build into eternity. You know, the very few last chapters in the book of Daniel are filled with uh, the visions that God gave him. He heard from God like none other. And the very, very last verse in Daniel says this. He's receiving a vision from God. And the Lord tells him, as for you, Daniel, go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. And that verse wrecked me because of something my wife sent a week and a half ago to me. She didn't even know how powerful it was. I just texted her about a meeting at work and said something like, this was a clown show. Or something along those lines. Nothing, nothing big, just it was one of those work meetings that was crazy. And she replied and said four words. That's not your inheritance. That's not your inheritance, Chris. And she spoke the word of God over me in a text, and it strengthened me, and it comforted me, and encouraged me. That's what you're supposed to do. That's being prophetic. Strengthening, comforting, encouraging with the word of God. I don't know about you, but I was running through this message last night and it, it wrecked me. I, need, I needed to be wrecked. And I don't, I don't know what your week's been. I've talked to a few of you, but I've felt this oppression, like spiritual oppression this week. I don't know if any of you felt that. But I also feel, feel the peace of Jesus in the midst of the oppression. And here's what I know. Here is what I know because the word of God is true and it's living and it's accurate. That when the enemy comes in, that the spirit of the Lord comes in like a flood. Like a flood. And it's raining outside. And it's starting to flood. See, the devil only attacks people that are building into eternity. Hello? So if there's a tiny bit of enemy oppression, I believe that the Lord is raising up, rising, a flood of his Holy Spirit in this city, in you, in your workplace, and what feels like it's a struggle, what feels like a battle is actually treasures being released in the darkness. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and just think about, it'll probably be easy, what's heavy on your heart right now? What do you feel like you're being oppressed with or attacked with? Not people, I'm talking in the spiritual realm. It might come in the, maybe manifest in the form of people that are attacking you or things that are happening. But what's coming against you? I just want you to identify that right now in your mind. 
You got it? Okay, I want you to say this out loud. That's not my inheritance. No, I like you mean it. Ready? That's not my inheritance. One more time. That's not my inheritance. See, you have an eternal inheritance. Your inheritance is actually Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate treasure. Man, we got to put our hearts on him. He is the treasure. First Peter says this. He says, now we can live with great expectation. We can live this temporary life with great expectation because we have a priceless inheritance, something money cannot buy, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of any decay or change. You can go out of this place today with great expectation. Let's pray. I just want you to open up your hands this morning just as a symbol of surrender to Jesus. As a symbol that you're ready to receive this declaration that I want to read over you. I want us to pray three specific things over each one of us this morning so that we can live in great expectation. Jesus told us, he said, you have not because you ask not. And Jesus, we are asking right now. We are knocking. We, we are asking for things to be released in our lives. You've put eternity in our hearts. Jesus, we're praying these three things. We want the prophecy of Isaiah. God, release the prophecy of Isaiah over this church over these people. I release the word of God over them, which is eternal. I strengthen them, and I comfort them, and I encourage them. I release them to do the same. The word of God does not return void. It always bears fruit. We want the prophecy of Isaiah. Father, we also want the obedience of Cyrus. The obedience to when we hear your voice, we move to action. When we listen for the word that is spoken over us, whether it's right now, five seconds ago, or 3,000 years ago, it doesn't matter. We move. His, your word is eternal. It's living, and it's active, and it speaks into our lives. So I release that spirit of Cyrus over them, the obedience of Cyrus. And God, we pray we want the inheritance of Daniel. God, I pray the inheritance of Daniel over this church. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to build into eternity. We're here to receive an inheritance that you have set aside for us. We're here to receive Jesus. We want to see and hear Jesus in the way that Daniel did. We may never see the rebuilding of Jerusalem in its physical form, but we're going to be faithful. We're going to use our influence where we're planted, where we are. No matter what king we're serving, we're serving the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We have an inheritance that is beautiful and far more priceless. Let us build it into eternity. Build it into the hearts of people beside us that are just living for the temporary. Oh God, I pray that we would download this into our hearts. We have an inheritance in a kingdom that is unshakable. Do you understand what that means? The kingdom that you are in cannot be shaken. It cannot be removed. It's an internal kingdom far beyond what anyone can ever has seen with their physical eyes. No eye has seen. Isaiah wrote this in, in Isaiah 64. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever imagined what God has prepared for you. 
for you, those that love him. That's your inheritance. You can't even understand it. The victory is all yours, Jesus. All yours. Amen. So sometimes... Sometimes God gives someone a word, um, and I got a word for this church just two weeks ago, but then right here it was confirmed, and I want to read this to you. I didn't know what Chris was preaching on today, um, but this is for someone today, Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. I call heaven and earth to witness to you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Chris said that eternity is in our hearts. And he talked about the fact that there's an enemy that wants to come against you to steal and kill and to destroy. And I believe that the enemy is trying to convince somebody with the spirit of suicide here today. Trying to convince you that what you're gonna experience on earth is not worth what you're going through because this is the time and the place where he is setting you up with the expectation of eternity in heaven. But there is an enemy. And two weeks ago, I had a dream about someone in this church. And I'm going to tell you the dream, and this might wig you out, but I think it's too important not to say. So in the dream, um, I dreamt this dream four times in one night. And every time I got up and I prayed and I went back to bed and I woke up again with the same dream. And in the dream, there was a man. And there was a rope around his neck. But it wasn't attached to anything because there was a demon hovering over him, holding the rope above him. And I think that somebody here today is totally out of left field struggling with that spirit of suicide and I want to speak against it and I want to say that the power that's in you is the power of Jesus it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead he was already dead he was already in the grave and then that power was ignited and that is in you and so I don't know if you're here today and this seems totally crazy but I think there's someone maybe on the podcast maybe here physically that you have been having thoughts trying to convince you that your life on earth is not worth it. And if you want to talk to somebody, come talk to me. I'll talk to you. I'll pull someone in that can help. Um, But God is for you. And the enemy is trying really hard to convince you that you're alone, that you're isolated, and you are not. I want you to look around at this body of believers. We are for you. We believe in you. And we are not perfect. Some of us have faced things in this life that are hell on earth. But we have gone, but God, and we have been pulled out of the pit. And so if you are in that pit, if you are hearing voices telling you, just end it, just take your life, that is the demon speaking to you, trying to convince you that eternity, here, heaven coming to earth is not for you, and that is a lie. So I want to speak the truth of Jesus of you. God's word says, choose life today, that you and your descendants might live. Think of your kids. Think of your grandkids. Your life is valuable. It is so, so worth it. So I'm going to pray, and I want every head closed. If, if you are struggling with any thought that your life on earth is not worth it, 
nobody's looking around. I just want you to open your hands to Jesus right now as a sign that you are going to let him just fill the space where the lies are resting. Jesus, I just pray right now against the spirit of death, against the spirit of suicide. And in the name of Jesus, I ask you to overcome those lies. I pray that the truth of your word, Jesus, would be louder than the lies that are overcoming. I pray against a spirit of depression and anxiety, trying to convince people that what they hear is truth. And we say that only the thoughts of God are allowed to reside in that mind and in that body from this moment on. So if that's you, I just want you to simply say to Jesus, Jesus, that's me. Rescue me. Save me. I'm choosing life. In the name of Jesus.